Welcome to Deep Drinks Podcast, where the drinks are deep and the conversations are deeper. Well, welcome everybody to the Deep Drinks Podcast. My name is Dave and with me tonight or today, depending on what time zone you're in, we have the lovely Deborah Grace, the author of Crucifying the Bible. And as you can see, this Bible, this book is, it may be small, but it is dense. Like this thing could be used as like a study guide uh, for, I guess, your ideas um, that you present in this book. Uh, and uh, yeah, I got the originally got the audio version. Uh, love that so much. I had to buy the physical version because it's just so filled with references that, yeah, I'd recommend anyone checking it out. So welcome, Deborah Grace. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, well, um, I'm super excited to have you on here because you're literally uh, the first author we've ever had on the Deep Drinks podcast. And what are we drinking for the Deep Drinks podcast? We are drinking Frangelico. Frangelico. Yeah, Frangelico. So I've, yeah. Never, I've never had this before. <laughs> uh, this will be my first, first time ever tasting it. Uh, you suggested it, so I went out and got a bottle, and I was like, "Okay, whatever the the guest suggests, as long as it's possible." <laughs> so how do so how do I drink it? Oh, you've got one of those glass. <sighs> I've got a little whiskey glass. It works in a shot glass. Um, it's you know um, hazelnut, a little bit of hazelnut flavor. I'm gonna. I'm I'm a purist. I'll be right back. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I got the same glasses. Oh, nice! Oh, you gotta have it. So, so you just you drink were it. God, I was doing, I was doing this. <laughs> yep, yep, that's the way. It is a really, it's a really interesting book, both for for anyone who's interested in religion, um, especially um, if you're a Christian or an atheist. And what I really like about it is you kind of break it up into two sections. So there's a, a part, the second part of the book you say is explicitly for people who want to push further into the rational mm -hmm. parts of the book. And that's why I thought that was really respectable. Yeah, uh, I had to, because I knew how hard it was jumping from, okay, now I, I don't really buy into the whole New Testament thing, but going further and dismissing the Old Testament after doing my research and my study, it was even more jarring. And I knew that... Um, even I took a little bit of a breather between the two. I took a few weeks, three or four weeks between the two um, where, before I started researching the Old Testament. And, and it, was, it was jarring. And I just, I didn't want to put that kind of heaviness on somebody else if they weren't ready for it. Yeah. So I, I told people, you know, you may not want to read this section at all. And that's fine. I respect mm. that. But if you do, here you go. But put, you know, get ready. <laughs> yeah, and it's really. I think that's um really responsible because I think a lot of the time people don't have um don't they aren't they aren't so empathetic towards how much religion means to some people. Uh, when mm -hmm. I was a when I was a believer, I, I literally I, I don't I, I was never put in this situation, so I don't know how I actually would have reacted. But if someone held a gun to my head, no doubt in my mind, I, I would have said, "Yep." I would take the bullet before denouncing Jesus. Like it was worth yeah. worth more than my life. Um, so for people to investigate that is actually quite hard um, emotionally. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, it's, it's almost traumatizing 
Um, mm. And in some parts it is because it, it really brings to the surface all of the, the RTS and uh, symptoms that, that come about with you, you finally make that connection. You go, Oh my gosh, I've literally been indoctrinated. I have been brainwashed. I have been um, even abused by this religion. I have been economically abused. If you're, um, if you've been told not to read other things, not to look over here, not to do this, I've been gaslit by the scriptures. I have been uh, the, 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 um, what's the other word I'm thinking of? Um, projection has been placed on me rather than the original fault. Um, there's so many different aspects. Almost every single, if not every single uh, type of abuse found in the DSM-5 is checked off in the Bible. Oh, wow. And that's really, that's, you know, forms of abuse. All of those are, are um mental abuse and emotional abuse. Mm. Um, they're all there. And that can be really, really heavy for somebody who finds that out as they're exiting religion. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really psychologically damaging. Mm. I, uh, the first person I interviewed on this podcast was a friend of mine that I met in ministry college and he was a, mm -hmm. a closeted homosexual for 40 something years. Um, and when the same sex marriage bill came through Australia, he decided to look into the Bible and really study what the Bible said about homosexuality. And he discovered that, um, a lot of the assumptions he was brought up to believe in weren't necessarily true. And then he decided through a long process to eventually come out of the closet and live his authentic self. And, um, mm. the, the, it was, it was very hard to kind of see one of my best friends learning to kind of, he didn't have the skill set anymore to deal with like life. Like, so, mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where like a lot of people talk about the prodigal son, like people, they learn these things, to, these things on how to deal with the world through Christianity or through their religion. Then they, they have some things that they question their religion about, or it doesn't really work for everything they want it to be. They kind of leave. And then now they don't have that. They don't have the way, that way to deal with the world anymore. And then they come running back to religion. And then the religious person sees that is like, uh, as like confirmation that their religion is true and, uh, and maybe yeah. the person as well. And it's like this self perpetuating, um, thing, uh, that religions tend to do and they can bring a lot of people happiness, but I don't know how true that happiness is sometimes. Um, but yeah, it's very shallow, um, because the, the familiarity that people have in their abuse, in their, um, box of being damaged by religion can be addictive. It's the same with those that are addicted to the cortisol hormone. Mm. Um, when you're stressed out and you're uh, worried or you're uh, anxious, people can actually become addicted to those feelings and those um, hormones that our body releases in that trauma. And so when somebody goes outside of religion and they don't work on uh, healing themselves and doing the shadow work and trying to find resources to, to mitigate mm. all this abuse, then yeah, coming back to it is the familiar safe place um, because they, they know how to cope in that, in that mm. trauma. It's not healthy, 
but it is uh, that's why it is so psychologically damaging and why part of why I felt that urgency to write my book once I started it. Mm. Well, this conversation is already super interesting and I I can just see that we can naturally just bounce off each other really, really easily. Um, we, we seem to mm. think quite similarly. Um, but I did want to actually mention what your book's about. So your book, well, maybe you can describe your book actually better. Um, essentially, you, you're, maybe you should just explain it better because it, <laughs> essentially you were a Christian and then you studied the word more, strong, more strongly and then you, you converted to Judaism. Uh, and then oh, today- I converted to messianic, uh, Hebrew roots messianic. Okay, is really cool. what it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the very first, the preface really goes into the whole backstory. Um, just, and, and I know it's long and I apologize to the readers for that, but I really wanted to sort of encapsulate my, my journey in that section of the book because the book itself is, is really all about um, using the scriptures to show why it cannot support itself. First, the New Testament, and then the second section is is going into the Old Testament and the whole picture, the, the view from 50,000 feet. But the first part, uh, the preface, really goes into my journey and how I went at analyzing the scriptures using things like modus tollens and um, the different fallacy uh, fallacies and the biases that are found in the, the study of critical thinking. And um, so I really just picked apart um, each little um, Christian apologetic, um, the, the main arguments that the Christian apologists put forth to non-believers. And then I said, well, okay, that's your argument, but here is actually what the Bible says. So, you know, let's bring context here. Let's show you every side of it, all the facets, and don't just have the myopic biblical glasses on. Let's look at this in full in the full spectrum that it deserves. Mm. Cool. So, um it's it's a super interesting book and and something that I never considered when I was a Christian, which was essentially that Jesus doesn't necessarily meet the criteria for the Messiah. Um, and it's Correct. a question that, uh, it's really interesting cause it's like, um, it's like, it, it seems so obvious. Like, well, if, if Christianity is obviously true and people say that Christianity is obviously true, the prophets say it, why are there still, why is there still Judaism? Like that makes no sense. Like I never questioned that one question. Um, and so I have this little list here of some things that I picked out of your book that I'd like to kind of read out. Um, and, uh, if I've misunderstood anything, let me know, but I'll read it out one at a time. So in the, in the old Testament, God never said that he will resurrect a Messiah or that he will, um, or that we'll have to believe in a Messiah to be saved or that we will pray to a Messiah. Uh, the old Testament does not contain a single prophecy of the second coming. The Messiah will usher in worldwide peace that no one will, uh, know war anymore. So that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And obviously, mm-hmm. we have some wars still today. Uh, sin sacrifices mm-hmm. were not to be anointed, uh, and yet Jesus was anointed. So that would be mm-hmm. going against the laws of the Old Testament. Um, and it is a violation for someone to die on behalf of someone else's sins. That's another law of the Old Testament. There's no heaven or hell in the Old Testament. Uh, that's something super interesting. Um, and if anyone is interested in that, I recommend Bart Ehrman's book, uh, Heaven or Hell. It's quite a good book. Um, and finally, a new covenant does not negate an old covenant. 
So these are some right? these are some little some little like points that while when I was a Christian that would have really thrown me thrown me for a loop. Like I would have I would have been like very confused by that. And your book goes over right. in detail those those points and many others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I found that it, it was very, there were points that I had thought of, and I was really trying to go at, because having been there, I knew the arguments that the Christians bring forth. So I was really trying to think of it, um, not just critically, but I was really trying to put myself like I was a lawyer in a courtroom asking specific questions that most people wouldn't think to even question. So I was really thinking, all right, so, you know, they say that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Well, okay, let's let's look at what the law says. And, and having been in the Messianic um, Hebrew roots, I knew quite a bit of those laws. So I pulled up, you know, this, the, the uh, mitzvahs, and and went through them and when i got to the sin sacrifice laws i'm like wait a minute <laughs> he said he fulfilled the law perfectly but the crucifixion violates every single sin sacrifice law how can you be an atonement mm-hmm. for sin when your sacrifice quote unquote violates the law which is sin mm. sin cannot be an atonement for sin mm. How do, uh, so like, I imagine that I'm just guessing here, but I haven't looked into it, but I imagine that they would just, someone who tried to defend that would just do special pleading. Like they would just say, well, it was different for Jesus because he's God. Is that how they generally? Sure. Mm. Sure. However, um, when you, when you look at the Old Testament the first five books of the Old Testament are said to be Torah, the law. And in that, you find several verses that say that, it, you know, it's an abomination. It's a, it's a violation of the law for any man to die for anybody else's sin. Okay. And then people are like, but, you know, Jesus was God. Well, in the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, they call Jesus fully human. Mm-hmm. This, these are the writings that are in your Bible that you call infallible, that you mm-hmm. call the perfect word of God and inspired. So how do you square that? How do you reconcile these two very obvious dichotomies of a sin sacrifice? Yeah. And it's at this point that I imagine when you say in your book, um, the ad hominem attacks begin. I imagine at that point, when you bring up that, that's when they start saying, you just want to sin or you, like, why do you, do you, why are you doing this? And et cetera, et cetera. Is that, is that essentially what happens? Because that's what happens to me when I ask these same questions or similar. Very often. Yeah. Very often they're like, you know, well, who are you to, to, to be judging the word of God? Like prove that it's the word of God. (laughs) How can you prove that it's the word of God outside this claim, the Bible is the claim. It cannot simultaneously be mm. the evidence. Yeah. So, you know, using scripture to prove scripture is circular reasoning and you're proof texting your narrative. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, you know, I, I will call them out on the ad hominem attacks and I'll be like, let's stick to the topics. You don't, we don't need to go to ad hominem, mm. you know, let's stick to this topic, this subject and see if you can square it. And I had somebody who, <laughs> who said, yeah, let's debate. Here's my phone number. Call me. And I'm like, 
I'm not, I'm not calling you. I have a Discord channel. Let's go over here. <laughs> yeah. No, you're trying to run away from the debate. Oh, okay. All right. I'll call you from my husband's phone. He can, um, he can be the MC or the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I called and he never answered several <laughs> That's times. Amazing. Sent a That's message. Amazing. I'm going to call you in 15 minutes. You know, you just said five minutes ago, you know, let's do this. And now you're not answering your phone. Yeah. So it's, I, okay. I, I, I recently put out a video on my channel that has to do with science. Um, and uh, so it's not necessarily um, God based or anything, but I had two people. It was so funny. One person said they would debate me and come on my channel if I recommitted my life to Jesus. And I was like, it wasn't, I didn't have anything to do with God, but I was like, what? Like, okay. And then the other person said he had five Twitter followers and he said that, um, I can't afford his fee. And I said, oh, I'll give you, I'll give you a dollar for every Twitter follow you have to come on my show. And he said, um, how about we start with 25 K? And I'm like, 25 K. Okay. I was like, all right, this is, this is hilarious. Like you're, you're, you're very, right. very strong on all your points, but you, you won't defend them. Uh, anyway. So I just found it super interesting how people, they challenge the things and they dodge stuff. Now I need to have a sip mm -hmm. of this because I haven't had a sip and you say this is mm. delicious. So I want to take a sip and you just have it neat, right? Okay. Yeah. And you are correct. This would be delicious over ice cream <laughs> or something, right? It, it actually would. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's so good. How, how alcoholic it's is smooth. that? It's smooth. Oh, it's not that alcoholic. It but, um, it's 12 p it's 12 p.m. it's 12 p.m. here in Australia, but in Australia day drinking is totally acceptable, so. Right. So well, it's 40 proof. I mean, that's that's kind of strong. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um so uh well, if it's I finish the, than wine. <laughs> yeah. If I finish the bottle, uh, my wife will come home from shopping and uh and I don't know, it'll it'll be funny. Um so <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your journey. So uh, so a lot of people might I, I imagine the first thing they will go to is what kind of a Christian were you? Like, were you really, like, were you just brought up as a Christian or were you like, you know, super, super saying Christian, like super, super Christian? <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you, like, did you ever, so did you grow up a Christian? Did you have like a saved moment or a, or a Pentecostal moment? Were you involved in a Pentecostal church? Um, mm -hmm. Cool. So, yeah. so I, uh, remember the day that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was five years old wearing a yellow dress with white polka dots. Oh, that's adorable. in Sunday school. Oh. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, I, I put it in my book and, and all the different times and why, uh, but baptized six times. And, and mm -hmm. there was a reason for, uh, you know, as an infant, cause you know, that's what they do. And then a few other times. Um, the last one was um, to solidify my conversion to Hebrew roots because mm -hmm. I wanted to do it in the running waters of a river, um, fresh waters of a river, trying to, to mimic as close to Jesus' baptism as I could. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we read the Bible from cover to cover and then start again as children. Um, I would um, play Bible trivia with my family and... Um, I was homeschooled for four years, uh, so that sort of even further solidified my creationism uh, as, you know, that getting away from the science in those early impressionable years, I was taught creationism. Uh, yeah, like young and, earth creationism? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like the Ken Ham, the Ken Hoven. 
Uh, so <laughs> I don't think I ever, I, I, I didn't even know about Ken Hovind until a couple months ago. Uh, so oh. I don't think I was exposed to his specific yeah. leanings. Um, but oh. you know, we had the curriculum that, that taught it mm. and, um, my family, um, my dad wrote Christian songs, very folk style, and mm-hmm. we would go to different churches and sing his songs. And um, we we had um, Pentecostal churches. I was in a Baptist church for a couple of years. Um, you know, just the evangelical, like the the New Hope and the Calvary Chapel, and the um, that's really big in the United States. I don't know if it is there. Is it um, like uh, is Calvary like um, Jesus culture and all that? Like that? It's yeah. It's it's very it's more modern, big church. You like know, Hills, um, Hillsong kind of. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. like Hillsong yeah. type of or Elevation or uh, yeah, that okay. type of church. Um. So you know, went to those types, and then there was a couple of extreme ones. I went to a church called Dunamis. Um. It's a it's a Hebrew word that means power of God. And the they were very into hands-on healing and mm. yelling at, at spirits and you know like yeah. right up on your stomach trying to yell at the 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 sickness or the demons that were in you mm. trying to you know like like uh, Kenneth Copeland blow them away you know yeah Smith Wigglesworth style with the breath of God yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did, or uh, the Benny Hinn style it was uh, did, did <laughs> you experience very... did you experience like did you uh, uh, ever like speaking tongues, or do you experience miracles or things like that, or did you see miracles, or what's the craziest, I would say, quote unquote, spiritual experience that you experience in one of these meetings? Um, well, trying to be slain in the spirit, you know, trying yeah. to push my head back and get me to to. They tried that several times, and I just never had that supernatural experience i never spoke in tongues i tried to just blabber and sound like Mm. you know what everybody else was doing but it wasn't natural it wasn't uh organic Mm -hmm. and um i couldn't get there Mm. um my mom swears that she spoke in tongues and and did so for many years as far as i can remember she would speak in tongues and yeah. But she did so very privately. It wasn't something that was, you know, out in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I lived my life as a Christian. My my uh, son's father, uh, when we were married, he was a, a youth pastor. And so you're exposed to that uh, to, at two different churches. And... Um, I I was as involved as you can be um, and wanted to. I, I had that heart. I wanted to help. I wanted to to do my part as much as I could. And, um, you know, there were a couple years in my um, early 20s and a couple years in my 30s, uh, not years, but there was a, a period of time where I just was a little overwhelmed by life and I was like, I don't know where God is. And so I turn and and I didn't go out to go sinning or partying or anything like that. I just didn't attend churches, but I still Mm -hmm. had God in my heart and I still called myself a Christian and I still believed and it was my identity. Um, 
it was my entire life. And so from the time I would wake up in the morning to the time my head hit the pillow at night, I wanted to be the most godly woman that I could be. And I strived to be more in the word and more in prayer and more in the every part of my life. Uh, it was surrounded by and and influenced by my belief in God. So the people that, that come at me now that say, well, you never, we're never a true Christian. I'm like, well, now you're lying. And that's, that's against the Ten Commandments. Mm. And you can't divine my hearts. And that's a no true Scotsman fallacy. Mm. So, you know, coming back at that's pretty easy. But it's still, it's like, how dare you? Mm. That's, that's rude. That's inappropriate. You cannot divine my heart or my mind. You've never walked in my shoes. You don't know me. How mm. dare you? Yeah. It's extremely presumptuous. Yeah. I, I, it's it's uh it's it's so it is interesting though when you can quote when you can kind of when you can take the moral high ground and kind of point out there being unscriptural i had a similar like you know you're lying that's a sin like i had a similar experience where a street preacher stopped me started preaching to me i said hey look, i'm not i'm not i'm not interested in having this conversation um you know i've got some experience and they wouldn't stop and they just kept going so i said i, I took my kid gloves off i took the, i took the, the gloves off and i said oh can mm -hmm. i ask you some tough questions and they said, sure. And I asked them some tough questions and it got to the point where um, they just wouldn't answer the questions. And they said, oh, no, no, that's such a foolish question. And I said, oh, I said, careful now. You're in danger of the fire of hell if you call me a fool. And, <laughs> and then they said, right? I didn't call you a fool. I called your arguments a fool. And I said, yeah, but you know, kind of, it's kind of similar. You're, in danger. You, you're getting close. And then it ended with um, me walking <laughs> away, giving their flyers back and saying, hey, look, I'm not going to read these, you know, have them. And me walking away and them screaming at me, God's going to harden your heart. And I'm like, well, you must have already done it. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it was just amazing. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I have it in my book. That specific scripture that talks about, you know, you who call somebody else a fool is in dangers of the fires of hell. Mm. A few chapters later, Jesus calls his brothers <laughs> in fools. You yeah. fools, you vipers. That's interesting. I, I guess must Jesus was in danger of the fire of hell. Ugh, geez. That's crazy. Um yeah, I didn't I must I don't Same remember word. I don't remember hearing that in your book when I when I read it the first time. Um wow, that's I'll have to check that <laughs> part out. Um that is really interesting. So eventually though, uh you mentioned in your book that you had this experience. Was this in maybe in the Hebrew roots movement or something you're where Essentially, you listen to a like a preach or something from a rabbi, was it? And it it conflicted. Um, okay, so you're talking about the video that that's, yeah, that you went to off? work. Yeah, you it kicked you off on your journey. Yeah. So, <laughs> I made a point of staying in. Um, listening to teachings, you know, mm -hmm. from, from Hebrew roots teachers, I would, I made a point to listen to, you know, this, at least one a day. Um, and, uh, when I was at work, I was able to, you know, do my work and listen at the same time. So I came across, I was at lunch and I saw somebody ostracizing this, this, uh, series of videos by Scott Shub, and I was like, oh, I've never heard of him. That sounds interesting, and it's from a fellow Hebrew Roots person. 
And I was like, well, I'm just not going to listen to the gossip. I'm going to go to the source. You know, what did he say? And so I turned on the first video and all, all, all color drained from my face. And I stopped it and I was like, I can't, I can't go to the next video. I have to list, I have to take this home to my husband. So I went home and I said, Hey, I need you to, I need you to watch this video. But if you don't see what I see, our marriage is on the line. And he was like, what? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Are you sure you want me to watch this? So I was like, absolutely. I do. So he watched the first one. He says, I'm done. I see what you saw. And mm. we both knew the scriptures well enough to understand that he was right. He was scripturally sound in his arguments. And he didn't need to watch. He watched the second one. He didn't watch all, all seven. He's like, I'm done. I don't need to see anymore. Mm. I watched the rest of them. And... um and at that point, we were just like, oh, I guess we're going to go be Jewish then. And just, you know, maybe we should find a synagogue. And I reached out to Tobia Singer. And he emailed me back and said, welcome home. And um, so we were looking at, uh, you know, well, do we become Karaite Jew? Do we adopt ourselves into, you know, what? Ashkenazi tribe is that's kind of where my roots go. And, um, so we were just trying to figure out, well, and he's like, you should probably find a, uh, depending on how strict you go, if you go Orthodox or if you go reform, whatever, uh, find a synagogue close to your home. Okay. And we were really looking at and, and trying to find the, the material in the synagogues. Meanwhile, I'm like, well, <laughs> If I'm going to vet the New Testament, hmm. I need to make sure that the Old Testament stands on its own. Hmm. And as hard as that was to bring myself to it, because I was so drawn to the the Jewish plight and Israel and had such a heart for that, that I didn't want to ruin that image that I had. Um, but... I I lived by the motto that my mom lived by. I'd rather be slapped with the truth than kissed with a lie. Mm. And so I went ahead and started vetting the Old Testament and went, oh, crap, it doesn't line up either. Um, so it was, was this, about... Uh, was this a long process? Between, like when you were vetting well, the Old Testament, was, was it like a long... It was about six months. Yeah. Six months okay. vetting the Old Testament. Um, and then I had to step away for a good six months and not even touch anything religious at all. Um, I'm like seriously watching cat videos because it was so overwhelming. Yeah. Trying to not spiral, trying to not just completely lose it on any given day at any, any time. I, you know, I found myself crying. Uh, on the floor in my in my living room, just face down crying, going, God, if you are there, if you are real, I need you to reveal yourself to me in whatever way that looks like. I don't care if you're freaking Krishna or Buddha, but freaking please reveal yourself because I don't know if I can live without a God. Mm. Um, so my husband, uh, I, I told my husband, I said, I need to, 
get away for a week and kind of recenter and reground myself. Went to a mind and body retreat in Florida and uh, just kind of tried to release and, and process and, you know, regain my composure and equilibrium and then just live, you know, just figure out how to just one day at a time, one foot in front of another until I could just be me and start mm. to reinvent myself. Who is Deborah? What is Deborah without the Bible? You know, mm. what is she like? What does she uh, want out of life? Um, mm. And I'm telling you, the the religious trauma syndrome that is associated with coming out of that is is hard. Mm. It's so hard because you've been so conditioned to not read anything about um, the old Egyptian mythologies or Homer or Virgil or whoever else is out there. You don't know anything about these people or how much of the Bible has hijacked from it. Mm. So you don't know the origins. Uh, I didn't know that uh, all four of the Gospels were written by ghostwriters. I didn't know the the history of how the Bible was written, who wrote it, how long it took to be wrote, how many years it took to become canon, how many times Revelation was in and out and in and out. I didn't know any of this until afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that is such a disservice to anybody who was following the Bible as their faith, as their foundation. Mm. So it took a couple of years before... um, the, the concept of even writing the book came about uh, mm-hmm. and it came about by accident. Um, just writing a response to a text message and I'm like, Oh, I think I just started a book. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 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 It's like, okay. uh, it's just like someone, someone's like, I can, I can imagine that someone was like, so why don't you come to church? And you're like, well, and then just kind of came out. Is that kind of similar to what happened? Well, my, my, my sister was telling me about uh, a video somebody had sent her, uh, this guy who was trying to parallel uh, the mark of the beast with the vaccines. And Uh, I was like, oh my gosh, really? And um, so I started writing response and and she knew I was out of religion, but I I wanted to put something together cohesively to kind of explain. Mm. And uh, three pages later, I'm like, I got a lot to say and Mm -hmm. having written for the validity of the Bible for so many years, I pulled out, you know, 10 years of writing um, and, you know, tried, you know, pulled it all together and and then just said, "Uh, I'm going to write a book. (laughs) And my husband said, okay, well go, go big or go home. Yeah. (laughs) So and, and, you def- and, and you definitely have gone big because, um, yeah, mate, I, just, I can't, you need, people, you need to get this book. It, look, look how thin it is. You can, re- <laughs> you can read it in a few hours or listen to it. The Audible version is great as well. But it's so packed with mm-hmm. uh, juicy uh, Bible goss, I would say. Um, but uh, it's funny you say about the, the traumatic experience about, about um, you know, kind of looking at the world without those kind of God glasses on. I remember for me, mm-hmm. I came to the realization that, that 
truth was the most important thing. And I realized that if I was going to look at the evidence and already have a conclusion that that wasn't honest, like that was intellectually dishonest. And then I came to the realization that, well, it doesn't matter if it's intellectually, no, it doesn't matter if I, if I remove all my biases because they'll come back to what I already believe because I already know God's definitely real. I already know Christianity is definitely true. So I don't need to protect that belief. I can just look at the evidence. And I remember even mentally in my mind, taking off like my God helmet, like taking off like my, my Christian helmet and just looking at the evidence and just going, okay, this is what the evidence says and going, okay, that's interesting. And I saw things that I normally wouldn't see. And then I remember like after the investigation, I put it back on and I remember thinking like, this is all mentally, I'm not a psychopath, but I'm just right, thinking right, like, right. I'm just thinking like, wow, that was, I saw a crack there. That was interesting. That was a crack there. And the next time I would go into this investigation, I would try and assume nothing. Like I'd, I'd assume that I existed and I could make observations of the world, but I'd try to assume as little as possible. And the crack was bigger mm-hmm. and bigger. And, and next thing I know, I'm in this giant canyon going, holy crap, this is very deep. And when I would reach out to my Christian friends and say, Hey, I found these problems. They would come with the ad hominem attacks, or they would, you know, they wouldn't be interested in discussing them, or they would say they wouldn't care. Right. And, and I was like, how can you not care about what's true? And it was, it was for me one of the hardest things was realizing that people didn't actually care about what was true or not. Like that was, like, I was like, was my faith really this dishonest? Like, and that was for me a really hard thing to kind of realize that mm-hmm. people in the church didn't actually care. And um, no. Yeah. And yeah, no, was- they don't. As a matter of fact, we had my husband and I, after questioning uh, two separate um, pastors or teachers in the, the Hebrew Roots movement, um, two of the churches we were asked to leave. <laughs> you know, uh. it, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's going to happen. You know, when you start questioning, their motives or their honesty or here's what the scripture says, Mm. isn't that? And they're like, well, if you don't, if you're not really learning anything from us, then maybe you should find somewhere else where you will learn. Yeah. And another one was another one. It was about the submission. Like my husband's like, I don't submit to you. I submit to God. And he was like, (laughs) very offended. Yeah. Didn't, and you mentioned in your book that um, your husband was having uh, lunch with um, a pastor or a preacher. Um, and then they, um, and you, your husband was like, Well, I, I love you as a brother. Like, so, you know, and then he said, And, you, and, the, and the pastor said, Show me. And he, Yeah, that is, mm-hmm. that's crazy. That's crazy. Cause you yep. guys were having issues around the teachings of tithing and stuff at the time, right? Yeah, it, it was that. And there was another issue. Um, there was a couple in the church that wanted to get married and the, the pastor there, he, he said, um, he wanted to do it, but he was only going to do it if they had counseling sessions with him beforehand. Mm. And they're like in their, their fifties and they're like, Oh, we know what we're doing. We want to do it. Why, why, why would we have to do that? And so they asked my husband, you know, would, would you marry us? So my husband went online, got the certificate and said, sure. And he married him. And the pastor was offended because Mark had stepped on his toes. Ooh. So uh. the lunch was tried to try to smooth things over to say, Hey, you know, yeah, no right. harm, no foul. 
you yeah. know, the, these are adults over here. And, mm. you know, I, you really shouldn't be offended. They're adults. Sorry, but, you know, it is what it is. Let's get past this. And the guy, he just wasn't having it. Oh, wow. So how long would you say that you, uh, so would you consider yourself an agnostic atheist now? Or what would you consider yourself in your belief system? Uh, I really, I really try not to put a title, um, all for all intents and purposes. Um, my, my belief system falls within the atheist category. Uh, I try not to use that term because it's so offensive to Christians Mm. and the, it has such a negative connotation within their circles. Yeah. Um, so for, you know, most of the time I just call myself a skeptic. Um, I, I don't know if there is a God or not. It's, and I, I tend to lean on the fact that there isn't. Mm. Um, I don't, I don't know what we're living in. Who created it? Is this a realm? Is it a matrix? You know, is it millions of years? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, where did it all come from? Who knows? Mm. But it doesn't matter in my day-to-day life. What matters is me being a good person and trying to make this world a better place. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah. My re- my relationships with other people, that's what matters. Uh, mm. Leaving a legacy, being um, a, a, an example to other people, that's what mm. matters. Mm. Does God exist? I don't know. Mm. I really don't know, but I'm comfortable in that not knowing. Yeah, and that's me being honest with yeah, me. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That seems like, from my experience, is the only honest answer you can actually give. Um, it, it, we don't know, but just like how the ancient Greeks didn't know where the thunder was coming from, making up stories right. about how Zeus making that thunder, it may satisfy, mm-hmm. maybe satisfying emotionally, but it, it's, may, it's probably not true. So it's probably best to just say, look, we don't know yet. Like, it, it, let's find out. Like, <laughs> it's an interesting right. thing. And, but let's uh, keep the barbecue going, get some drinks, have some friends over, like still, still enjoy your life. Um, yeah. Um, well, and those, you asked earlier about, you know, did I have any supernatural experiences? And I apologize for not getting to that. Mm. I, I do have a couple from my childhood. Um, I had a very, very bad reaction to immunization shot when I was 12. And for, thir- for three weeks, I was in a state like a very severe stroke victim. I couldn't walk, oh, couldn't wow. write, couldn't talk, couldn't feed myself, could, I, nothing. And uh, it was three weeks later that I woke up and started feeling better. And my mom associated that to God. Right. Okay. Maybe, maybe it was just, you know, I had inflammation in my brain and it came down. The swelling came down. Who knows? They didn't know whether I would ever recover. Um, But I did. And it's... (laughs) To slide God in there is is extremely naive and it's it's presumptuous. And to to do the God of the gaps for everything we don't know hmm. is primitive in hmm. thought. Science doesn't operate that way. We know things that we don't know, you don't call it God. Hmm. Why should we do that as as you know even as a, as a believer, you know, it, the, the God of the gaps fallacy is a fallacy. 
Yeah. It's interesting too, because uh, like if you didn't recover from that super unfortunate experience, um, then it wouldn't be God's fault. So it's like kind of an unfalsifiable claim, right? So like right. when it works, right. it's God. When it doesn't work, well, it's not God's timing or something. It, you can't you can't be proven wrong. It, it, like replace right. the God for magical um, jug of milk and you, you get the exact same results, you know. It's mm-hmm. either the jug of milk works or it doesn't. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, I want to actually talk a little bit about your book, Um and uh, I wanted to mention a few things from the book and just get your thoughts on them, or maybe you could elaborate a little yeah. bit further. So a few things that stood out to me was you talk about the sin sacrifice, and I've got a bookmark, and I'll just read out a little section of this. Um, the, most glaring, the most glaring violation and worldview symbol of the Christian faith is the cross where Jesus is hung, not burned. Not even Abraham was going to hang or crucify Isaac. The Old Testament states... He, he, he that is hanged is cursed of God, but Jesus is hung. If Jesus, if Jesus were God, I'm a little dyslexic, sorry. If Jesus were God and if his death was an act of self-sacrifice, then he would be cursing himself. Yeah. And I found that quite right. interesting. Yeah. Can you elaborate right. a little bit on the sin <laughs> sacrifice? Yeah. Um, so every single aspect of the sin sacrifice was a violation. Um, The Old Testament law states that a sin sacrifice must be killed quickly. The blood drained out at the base of the altar. Um, The altar is supposed to be anointed. The sin sacrifice is not to be anointed. Uh, It's supposed to be burnt. The leftovers are supposed to be eaten by the priests. (laughs) Um, the, uh, the sacrifice is supposed to be handled by consecrated, cleansed and anointed Levitical priests and none of it lines up. So a violation of a sin sacrifice law is a sin. Mm. So how can a sin be an atonement for sin? Mm. Exactly. That to me was one of the biggest issues with the entire new testament and i just went yeah the the goggles were off it was done um nothing else mattered to me because when you have the the sacrifice of jesus as an atonement for the world fall apart none of the none of the rest of it makes any Mm. sense um you know he had four prophecies about himself that didn't come true another sin or violation or you know now you're a false prophet so how do you hang your hat on on the bible as your source of faith when the very main uh crux the 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 crest of your story your your main point falls apart Mm. It it doesn't it doesn't line up, and now the rest of it is uh, non sequitur. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because um, I think there was even a sect in early Christianity, you know, a, a very early sect, like within the first couple hundred years, called the Marcionites, and they rejected the Old Testament and they rejected the Old Testament. God is an evil deity that Jesus came that created the world, and Jesus came to to save us from this evil deity. 
Um, so I guess if you just take out the whole, all the prophecies about God and you throw out the whole Old Testament and you just refer to Jesus as like someone who was like God who crucified himself or something, I guess it could work. But I mean, you're kind of throwing out everything and basing it on nothing, I guess. But yeah, it's. Well, but at the same time, if you look at, you know, some of the words that Jesus said, you know, he came to save, believe on him and be saved. But those who don't believe, you know, you, you're uh, dividing the wheat from the tares and you're dividing the thorns from the, the good seeds and whatever else, other analogies he uses. If you're, if you're coming to save people from a hell that you created, that's extortion. So <laughs> yeah. even if you only use the New Testament and, you know, he's coming back supposedly per the mm. book of Revelation, he's coming back drenched in blood with a sword. How is that benevolent? Mm. You're coming to scorched earth, yeah. you know, coming back to scorched earth and you're doing it to save. It's it, it puts what? God, it put like the Bible sometimes makes God out to be like a mafia boss. Like that's a mighty fine soul oh, yeah. you've got there. Like um, it'd be a shame if anything happened to it. Like, and uh, I've got this video on my channel where I, I talk about how like, like I don't make fun of God on this channel. Like I make fun of the idea that the ideas people have about God because there's, you're, you're telling me the creator of the universe sent his favorite tribe of people into another tribe of people to go slaughter everyone, but to take the virgin mm -hmm. woman for yourself. Why would the creator of the universe suggest this? I don't understand. Like, it's perplexing oh, to me. But David, you have to understand. Uh-oh. In the New Testament, <laughs> in the New Testament, or let's just go back to the Old Testament. The Old Testament <laughs> says, you shall not take a betrothed woman. And then in the New Testament, God did just that. Oh, and a yeah. bastard shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So technically, Jesus is a bastard. How is he supposed to get into heaven? Yeah. God took a betrothed woman and impregnated her. Yeah. I thought you're not supposed to commit adultery. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, it's uh, very spicy. It's, it, I can see how a yeah. lot of people, and I'm, I imagine a lot of this is in the second part of your book because, you know, it's it, it's such a... It's such, it's so blasphemous to even think like that for a Christian, uh, you know, so. Right. Like, uh, oh, well. I'm a traitor. I, I, I'm considered a traitor by, by Christian standards. Yeah. But yeah. I've been called worse. Yeah. Well, I think um, you're never, you're never, we'll, but neither of us were never really true Christians because what it says in one John, they were never really with us if they're now not with us or something. I don't, I don't know. I haven't read it for a while. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, if you're but, not for if you're not if you're not for God, you're against God. So. Yeah, but we have delicious uh, uh, from from Milico. Milico, right, right, yeah. Frangelico, <laughs> Frangelico. Sorry, <laughs> it's obviously taken effect, and I was a little nervous before this, so I had a little uh, <laughs> bit of whiskey as well. Um, okay, I did want to mention uh, Isaiah fifty three because. When I mm. mentioned on Reddit that I was interviewing someone who converted from Christianity to Judaism and then to atheism, um, that's how I worded it anyway, um, they said, oh, have they read Isaiah 53? And I even had a family member who went to a ministry college years ago, um, a Bible, Bible college or ministry college, I can't remember. And I said, mm -hmm. actually, 
and I said, oh, what are you, what are you learning? And uh, they said, oh, I'm learning about, um, you know, um, why the Jews don't accept um, Jesus. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I said, why is that? I'm, I'm interested to know. And they said, oh, because they don't have Isaiah 53. And I was like, oh. Wow, I was like, that's super that's interesting. That's actually not true. Yeah, and that's then so I went, I went away and looked looked it up later, and I was like, uh, no, they do, it's right there. Like what? And I was like, yeah, hang on. They do. And I was like, how are you being taught this in like an accredited universe, like an accredited uh, course? Uh, right, it's just blatantly wrong. Anyway, go on, tell us well, about Isaiah fifty three. Yeah, that is a lie that has been perpetuated by uh, the missionaries. Um, and people just believe it because that's what they're taught. That's what they're told. But uh, no, the Hebrew Bible does have Isaiah 53. They know it. They read it. But you have a lot of problems with Isaiah 53. Uh, for the first and foremost is most of it, not all of it, most of it is past tense, which last time I checked, a prophecy is not past tense. But um, we there's a lot of problems with it. You have, um, he made his grave, it's verse 9, he made his grave, oh, let's go back to verse 8. Verse 8 says, he was taken, but the Hebrew uses the, the word lamo, which is them or they. They were taken. So it's a so plural just used to, on that just, verse in the just, Hebrew. Just to give some context for maybe people who aren't super familiar, Isaiah 53 is an Old Testament scripture that Christians use to say that Jesus, um, it's prophesying about the, the coming Messiah, Jesus. Um, and mm -hmm. yet the, the Judaism, they still read the scripture and they don't believe Jesus is fulfilling that scripture. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Right. Um, verse 9 is backwards because it says that... Um, that Jesus was made his grave with the wicked, uh, but he was actually buried in a rich man's tomb, not a criminal's tomb. He was, yeah. and then it says that his death was with the rich. Well, unless these thieves were rich, uh, they were criminals, not rich. Mm -hmm. um, so it's completely backwards. Um, it says that he shall see his seed. The Hebrew word there is zera, which always means physical children. Jesus didn't have any children. Um, it says that he would have prolonged days. Um, I don't think 30 or 33, whatever you subscribe to, is very long life. Mm -hmm. I'm already 46. So <laughs> I outlived him. Um, and... Um, And I know then, it doesn't mention Jesus. A lot Jesus. of people talk about. It doesn't mention Jesus no, by no, name, it does it? No, and it doesn't even mention the promised Messiah in these passages. Okay. So, I mean, that's a big problem there too. But if there's, a lot of people say, well, it talks about the rod and the stripes, the rod and the stripes. Jesus was was beaten, and he was, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, Flogged. Flogged, yes, thank yeah. you. And there are three verses outside of Isaiah 53 that talk about, well, the suffering servant it, from, from chapter 1 to chapter 52 and chapter 54 to the end always means 
Israel, all of Israel. The suffering servant is a collective noun to mean all of Israel. Okay. It's only that one chapter that Christians take the liberty of changing the meaning of the suffering servant to mean the Messiah. But okay. if you look at these other three chapters or these other three verses in the Bible, it explains again, it's confirmation that it is all of Israel who will, who will receive the rod and the stripes. Second Samuel 7, 14, if Israel is to sin, I will discipline them with rod and stripes. Psalm 89, verses 30 through 32, I will visit my children's sin with a rod and stripes. Children's. Hmm. Uh, this, and, and then in Job 9, 34, let him take his rod away from me. Job is considered to be part of, of that collective Israel even way back then. Mm. So if you have this specific, all, all these problems, you, and you, can, you have to take it cumulatively. Mm. If you look at it, I mean, even if you take one of those, just one of those verses, you know that the entire verse or the whole chapter or the whole book, it's not referring to Jesus. None of it is pointing to, to Jesus in, in that respect. There are some some prophecy verses in um, in Isaiah, but I think they're found in like verse or chapter eleven, um, and it's it's not the same context. Well, you have to look at that in context. Yeah, it's it's also interesting too because I've heard someone, uh, I think they called up the atheist experience, or maybe it was another talk show, um, but they said that you know Jesus is is it's all like true because he fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. And I think it was Tracy who I miss dearly um, from being on that show. She says, she said, did the writers of the New Testament have access to the Old Testament? And the person was like, oh, 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 because it's just like, well, if you were trying to convince someone that Jesus was the Messiah, let's say he was, you know, I mean, there were many, there were many apocalyptic preachers roaming around. I mean, John the Baptist was an apocalyptic preacher running around um, Judea at that time. Let's say if you're wanting to convince that he is the Messiah and you get these beliefs, well, you, you could easily read in, you could easily kind of explain the story to fit the Old Testament scriptures, especially when it's written, the New Testament is written 30 to 60 years after the events that they try to record. Um, oh, yeah. Ad, that's ad hoc rationalization right there. Mm, yeah. It, it, the whole New Testament is, is that's all it is. Uh I actually mentioned John the Baptist in in my um, my book because um, one of the prophecies of the Messiah is that um, Elijah would come before the mm, Messiah, yeah, and I so do. obviously they try to you know squeeze John the Baptist as as that, and, and Jesus says, "Yeah, if you can accept it, here's John the Baptist. He is Elijah." Mm. Well, then later John the Baptist is questioned. And he confesses and denies it not, that's verbatim, and says he's not Elijah. So who's lying here? Is it Jesus or is it John yeah. the Baptist? And either way, you don't usher in the kingdom of heaven with lies. Yeah, I I was I did, I was preaching at a youth camp once when I was training to be the youth pastor. I was um, a youth leader at the time. And uh, I actually was preaching. I had my Bible and I was like, do you guys know? I was trying to get them all excited for God. It's like, do you guys know that John the Baptist was Elijah? Or I, I can't remember exactly what it was. And as I said that, mm -hmm. the youth pastor's wife went, uh, 
And I went, I looked at her and she goes, no, that's wrong. And I went, oh, okay, forget that. <laughs> and I just kept going on. And afterwards I was like, what do you mean? It says it right here. And she's like, no, I think you're missing the context. And I was like, what? And then the other leaders were like, I, th- I don't think she's read it. Like this doesn't make sense because it says it. And, and anyway, it was just interesting that I was, yeah, I was, it's just, yeah, it's just got. There's, there are pastors across the nation, across the world right now that still to this day are preaching that, yes, John the Baptist was Elijah. Yeah. You also mentioned in your book that some references that are referenced, that some references in the New Testament that reference the Old Testament don't exist in the Old Testament. Can you explain a little oh, bit yeah. about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, most, the, the biggest and, and most glaring of the examples is often used by uh, Christian apologists. I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, mm-hmm. or 1st, I can't remember. And it talks about how, uh, according to the scriptures, Christ was w- died, buried, and resurrected on the third day. According to what scriptures? Hmm. According to what scriptures? Because that is not mentioned anywhere in the Old Testament. That's pulled out of thin air. That's completely fabricated. Yeah. All we've lost to time. On on that alone, the entire Bible should be deemed defunct. Hmm. Well, it's at least least defunct in that it's not the perfectly put together word of god because like couldn't you still say right not infallible yeah not infallible because you could say that well maybe there were scriptures but they were just lost to time right or something or like they've just been lost but it just Uh, i mean you could but i mean or or you know what religious script is that pulling from is that pulling from like the books of of, uh greek mythology i mean Mm. (laughs) what scriptures because a lot of uh, text around the world from different civilizations are deemed, you know, sacred, but it's certainly not coming from the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And the Hebrew Bible was very carefully preserved, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I do I do have some more stuff that I want to talk to you about your, your book, but I think um, mm-hmm. at this stage we, we might just move on to the Q&A and maybe if people have questions we can do another one of these one time or something if you're, you're up for mm-hmm. it maybe. Um, yeah. But we'll go on to the Q&A and uh, just to keep this relatively short, like not hours and hours, um, and I've got yeah. nine questions for you if that's okay. Yeah, sure. So I was going to pop them up on screen, um, but you, but obviously we had to have some technical difficulties and we're using Discord, so I'll just have yeah. to read them out. Um, how did your views of Jesus change when you converted to Judaism or a Judaism of sorts? Uh, well, at that point, I just saw him as another myth. Um, I, I, I saw Jesus as, uh, yeah, there might have been some nice things that were written, Um but I had taken those those uh, myopic lenses off, and mm. seeing him through that broad spectrum of you know critical thinking and being honest with myself, I now saw this this Jesus character as um, a reinvented myth. Mm. Uh, there are plenty of other saviors in other. Um, fates and religions and myths and legends and it just didn't 
it just didn't make sense to to put faith in something that was so um, badly uh, represented as a you know this demigod. Uh, it just didn't make sense, and and nothing in in the Hebrew Bible pointed to the New Testament Messiah anymore. Mm. And so at that point, I was just waiting for the Messiah like the Jews were. Okay. So your foundation was essentially you really understood the Hebrew scriptures and because the Hebrew scriptures didn't point to Jesus, all of a sudden that that like stack of cards just started to fall and then Jesus was oh, just it, another person. <laughs> that bridge was burnt. I had dropped yeah. a match and lit it and ran. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, someone asked, um, a lot of people were absolutely perplexed. I think when I asked on the, on the Christian Christianity subreddit, they were, they were so confused, um, that someone could even convert from Christianity to Judaism. Um, but they asked, so this question might just be, it's kind of silly, but are you familiar with C.S. Lewis's Lord, liar, lunatic question? No. Well, I think it's just Jesus is either a Lord, a liar, or a lunatic. Um, I think that's the... And, and to be honest, I'd be doing. Uh, I, I don't. I can't retell it exactly how. Uh, it, I, I wouldn't give, be giving it justice if I tried to explain it because I only just know it as well. So that's your answer. No. <laughs> we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> um, someone asked, uh, "What is your perspective on the book of Hebrews?" Uh, I think it's probably one of the most offensive books of the New Testament. Okay. Um, it's it's probably I hmm, yeah I, I I would have to say that he the book of Hebrews is probably the most offensive. It takes so much uh, out. It, it's one of the most unmatched books of the New Testament. I don't think it matches anything else. Um, the the whole tone of it and. Um, trying to to say that the new covenant replaces the old covenant um it it was very badly and poorly explained um because if you look at the first chapter in hebrews it talks about um the waxing old of heaven and earth and then you move to i think it's hebrews 8 or 11 i can't remember that talks about uh the the because the the Old Testament was erroneous. They had to bring in this new one and you had to replace the priesthood. And it completely takes out of context the fact that uh, the, the prophecies were talking about that the new covenant wouldn't be in place until heaven and earth passed away. And then Jesus actually confirmed that saying, you know, until heaven and earth pass away, every bit of this law is still in effect. And then Hebrews comes along and says, oh, no, that's not what it says. It's not what it means. It's so badly taken out of context. And whoever wrote it did not understand the Hebrew Bible at all or the words of Jesus. And they didn't understand how all of that came together. So, yeah. Mm. Is it traditionally – so uh, is it traditionally – authored by Paul? Like, do people think, so there's like the traditional, like what the church thinks, which is usually a little bit misguided. Is it traditionally thought of as Paul wrote it 
But then what does history actually tell us? Is it not written by Paul or? Um, so some Bible scholars believe that, that the book of Hebrews was written by Paul and some of them don't. And so there isn't a real solid consensus on the matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I would actually lean toward the book of Hebrew not being written by Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't know. I mean, I wasn't yeah. there. I don't know who wrote it. So, yeah. Um, and obviously, um, the scholars would agree. They don't know. Mm. They haven't come to a consensus either. So, Cool. Um, this one's a bit of a, this is a big question. And it's more of a question that is probably outside of the scope of Christianity. And it's probably outside of the scope of religion even um, is how I'd like you to kind of address it. And that is essentially, the question is essentially, and take your time if you need to think about this, but what evidence would convince you of the existence of a creator? Uh, seeing or hearing the actual creator. Oh. That's really what it would take. Um, I can't take man's word for anything. Mm. And, and having man speak for God or, or make the claim for God isn't evidence. God would have to pre- present that evidence himself or herself. Mm. So that's what it would take. And I'm sure that if you did um, end up meeting the creator of the universe in some, like he comes down and speaks, they speak to you one day, him, her, it, whatever, um, that you would immediately believe in that the in the existence of the creator whether or not you'd worship it it would be a different story but you'd you'd you're not stubborn is what i'm trying to get across um you're after truth well it, so it would take first you'd have to define god i mean i'm sure mm. cockroaches may look it up at us and think oh they're these are divine beings they can squash me at any time and they don't understand if i try to explain algebra to a cockroach what is that so I mean, I, I, How you am I defining? I'd be, I'd be the same. You know, if you try to explain algebra to me. I'd be like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm saying is like, how do I know that this divine being actually created the universe? Mm. I, I would maybe what have to see another universe created to mm. know that this was the one that created the one I'm living in. How, how would I know that this deity or being? did create the universe. Um, mm. I could have a very incredible supernatural experience similar to that on being on DMT, but I don't know that this is uh, a work of my own mind playing tricks on me or is there would have to be some very solid evidence for me to know that, yes, this is not magic. This is not uh, a, a trick. This is not my mind. This is actually a divine being mm. and and what does that mean so yeah it's it, it's it is a really you could write books and books on that one question because there's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it um this one's a bit more of, of a fun one um and i wrote this one um if there was one true religion which religion would you hope that to be i have not come across a specific religion where i'm like oh i hope that's true yeah um so i can't really well, say that oh i wish this one was true yet um I'll, I'll ask you a i'll ask you this or that um would you rather reincarnation be real or um an afterlife be real oh 
<laughs> Both of those are good. I, I mean, these I mean, these are these are kind of getting into the realm of like stoner questions. So I apologize for yeah. that. Yeah, that's but... no, okay. That's okay. Um, the only way in which I would want reincarnation to be real is if I got to keep these memories. Yeah. Cool. Um, other than that, I'd probably pick afterlife. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I don't believe that there is a, a hell, and even if there were, it's it's pretty sadistic to say, "Oh, I'm going to give you a whole new body so you can actually feel the torment of hell." <laughs> yeah, because as it stands, you would kind of need nerve endings in a body for you to be tormented. Yeah, so if it's I, just a soul, quote unquote, going to hell, where's the torment? Yeah, exactly, and it's also it's also like. The torment that you feel in a physical body is those cells like dying and, and degrading. Like, what what is it? Are you renewed constantly in hell? Like renewed and then die? Like, well, you're apparently just... immortal. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. apparently you're just immortal, burning. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have ever. I'm going to give you everlasting life if you believe in me. Okay, but you're going to give everlasting life to the person in hell too. So, okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what did you find uh, is the most common misconceptions Christians have about the Old Testament when you left Christianity to Judaism? Uh, the well, probably the uh, the misconception, the strongest one, I believe, is probably that um, that. The, the Israelites in the wilderness were only the tribes of Israel. Very few Christians understand that there was a mixed multitude in the wilderness and people who were Egyptian or from other uh, surrounding areas adopted themselves into Israel. And, um, and so when the Old Testament also says those who were not of the tribes uh, were supposed to be treated by the Israelites as native-born. Don't treat them any different. And yet, um, when you look at Christianity and the New Testament, the idea is that the, the, the Gentiles who become believers are still Gentiles. And, and that concept is somehow lost from the Old Testament in the New Testament writings. And very... I, I had never met a, a pastor from any denomination who ever touched on this. They talked about, oh, you know, you're, you're grafted in, but they don't mention the fact that you're grafting into the tribes of Israel. And all of these laws in the Old Testament, the eternal covenant, what has specific laws and feasts that say, for all generations in all your dwellings, perpetually, forever, follow this. So in, in the New Testament misses that in their belief and in their traditions and, and understanding of the Bible as it, in you know, full context, they miss that completely. You are now part of Israel. You're not no longer a Gentile. Gentile just means non-believer. You're no longer goy of other nations. You are part and parcel of the tribes and per the old testament law you're not supposed to be treated any different than a jew so 
that's totally missed. That was one of the, the most, the strongest misconceptions. It, it puts a whole new light on the Bible, which I still think it has value in academia, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so three last questions. Now, uh, I'm the, the first two I'm going to ask you uh, are kind of mm-hmm. partners. So the first question is, uh, what is the most compelling argument for the existence of God? And then my next question will be, what's the most compelling argument against the existence of God? Mm. In your mind, like if you were to give the best, obviously you're not convinced of it, but if you were to give the best the best argument that you think um, points towards God, that obviously doesn't make it all the way for you, but what would you say that is? Um, probably it's an appeal to nature. It's the symbiotic nature of our existence here on the planet. The the cycles, the, the symbiotic nature of um, just the uh, life uh, on mm. the plains of Africa, how it all needs each other, how mm. it all feeds off of each other, and the cycle of life that happens between um, the redwood forests to the kelp in the ocean to our winters and and um, the balance that that exists in nature. Um, that to me is probably the strongest argument. The weakest argument is, I feel it. The anecdotal, I feel it, you just need to accept and feel it and believe. That's that's the weakest one for me. Well, what is the most compelling argument like against the existence of God? So not just the weakest in to propose God, but let's oh, say, again. yeah, like, so let's say like, well, how could they be God? if X or something. So like, I think of like the problem of evil. Um, I think of, um, you know, things like the age of the earth being older than 6,000 years, like the scientific consensus of the big bang theory or something. Like what would you say is the strongest argument against the existence of God or it could be Bible stuff or. The, the strongest argument against the existence of God is, um, Probably the moral, the, the biblical God, um, the because that's all I could speak to is the biblical God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is probably the moral argument, which is so funny because people say the opposite. People say that sure. that's the reason. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. No, there, there isn't. I mean, I read through Genesis and and completely stripped it, and just took off all the fluff and just wrote what God said or did. He said this, he did this, he said this, he did this. Took apart everything else and you're left with a horrible deity. Absolutely malevolent. Yeah. I have to read this section. I I marked it and I marked the ones in yellow for ones I might want to bring up, but I have to read this Mm. in what you just said. Uh, Returning briefly to the topic of Satan. It should disturb anyone who believes in the Bible to find out how many recorded verified deaths can be attributed to God and how many can be attributed to Satan. Satan, 
10. <laughs> God, 2,821,364. Yeah. Yeah, and what's what I find is also interesting is um, I asked this to a Christian online is if we have references in the Bible of God lying or God sending a deceptive spirit, and we know that it also says that Satan lies, how do we know who's telling the truth or like when God is telling the right. truth? And this, right. then the ad hominem attack started. <laughs> exactly. Sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that's why are such a foolish question? Well, it question. should be noted. It should be noted, though, that those 10 were approved by God. So yeah, they could yeah. actually go into God's account. Yeah. I know. It's, it's, uh, they, they're but, only. But David, God's- but, but David, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. What, what exactly did Satan kill or steal or destroy? What, what? I know. What? I know. Yeah. Because you know what? God actually created Satan, He created the serpent. Mm. Who was cunning? Yeah, he created the tree and planted it right in the middle. He did it all. So yeah. to gaslight and and say it's our fault, we're we're wretched, is abuse. Yeah, pure. And I simple. I think that I really want to look. Um, have you ever read the book uh, Lost Christianities by Bart Ehrman? No, no, I haven't read that one yet. I have oh. a long list of books I want to oh. read and, and yeah, getting I bet. to them. I bet. Lost, <laughs> Lost Christianity is, um, he has, he has a talk on it as well on YouTube, like a bunch of talks. And it is so interesting because he mentions that there's the, the Marcionites, which I mentioned before, and then there's the Ebionites and Gnostics and stuff and how proto-Orthodox Christianity kind of took off. But, but what's so interesting about it is the Marcion of Sinope, I think he's called, he, he rejected all the Old Testament and he had this book called that I think we, I think this is all back somewhere in my brain that I don't really remember. But he had, he had this book called the Antitheses, and we only know about it because we know about people who were referencing it, like in order to rebut it. So we don't actually have the original. It'd be so interesting to find the original. But essentially, he said, he was saying, how can you say that the God of the New Testament is the same as the God of the Old Testament? Because, you know, are you saying the, the the person that said, let the little children come to me also said, go and kill the Midianites or the, um, or I forgot which group it was, or go kill the little children? Or, you know, are you saying that the same God that says, turn the other cheek also said, I'm jealous and I'm going to flood the entire world? Like, how can you say these are the two same gods? And I was like, wow, this Marcion of Sinope, he was like a kind of a badass for 200 CE or whenever he was kicking around. And I really wish I could read his original texts. Like if we could find them somewhere one day and maybe, um, or maybe Satan has a book that we don't know about that um, we could dig up. <laughs> we imagine that. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, that's, you know, the, the God of the new Testament is, is just as bad. I mean, you have verses in Luke that say we are good for nothing slaves. Hmm. And we're supposed to be happy about it. Mm. And, uh, and and then you have Jesus who's calling the Gentile woman and her daughter dogs, mm. you know. Um, you have the, the, the you know, Revela- book of Revelation where he's just pouring out bowls of wrath left and right, scorched earth. It's just a nightmare mess coming back drenched in blood with a sword. And, and of course, it's the same one. Mm. Of course. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I don't know what to say to it all except for yep. 
It's just a, it's a big, very big topic. So the last question and to end this interview, and I think um, you can take a bit of time for this one if you, if, it, uh, if you want, but what advice would you give to someone who is questioning their faith? Or maybe, maybe it's in the sense what you were, you know, when you were first having those doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it takes courage to, to question your faith and it, it, it's not an easy road initially, but it does get better. Um, there is a huge community of former believers who will absolutely embrace you with open arms. And um, I've spoken to people. I've answered uh, phone calls. I've reached out to a couple people and said, Hey, if you need to talk, I am here. Let's have a conversation. I, I've done that numerous times. Um, but if you are willing to be honest with yourself and, and actually question your faith, you're a badass and, and take comfort in that. Mm. It, it is not an easy road. It's not an easy journey, but it is a badass road to be on. And on the other side, life goes on. Mm. We 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 make it. Some people will shun you. Some people will call you names. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> I mm. Promise. Yeah. It's my advice. Yeah. I, 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 if I was to say something similar, it, 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 for me, uh, leaving faith was um, one of the hardest uh, emotionally wrenching, but also exciting experiences I've ever had in my, like, it was just so. Oh, I have so much more peace now. Yeah. I have so much more peace now. I the world was makes riddled sense. with fear. Mm. I was riddled with fear in my faith, in my religion. And that's horrible. Mm. to be in a place of fear. Am I going to make it? Because, you know, according to this scripture, mm. he chooses you. Well, what if he doesn't choose me? And according yeah. to this one, you know, you, it's your faith. It's, if you have faith of a mustard seed, you're, that's it. You're in. You, and it, this one, if you, you're only going to be in there if you're baptized. And it's yeah. like, did I do it right? Did mm. There's so much fear in religion and there's so much peace on this yeah. side. Yeah, I remember used to used used to feeling really concerned seeing my friends like get drunk or whatever or sin or, or something because I was we were quite strict in our, our faith and I'll I'll be worried you know they're going to hell and and or or um or, or, you know what, mm-hmm. whatever and I remember you know when when they would drink they would drink obsessively or or, or they would go crazy because that's what they expected to do but as I got older and as I kind of sat with um. Uh, our faith and stuff um, my wife and I that guilt about drinking and stuff kind of went away and we realized you know what like it's actually fine to have some drinks and like enjoy the night and stuff and if you don't want to be sick that you don't have to drink too much and you can have a couple of drinks and you can um, you know spend some time with your friends and your loved ones you can have deep conversations and you can you know go to bed wake up with a hangover order a pizza it's totally acceptable and fine if you don't want to be hungover don't drink too much if you you know like this just things start to make sense like if I was nervous Mm -hmm. about you know going for a drive into the city because I had anxiety or something I used to pray about it um, and that would make me feel better. It's like, but I realized like, well, hang on, I, I, I don't need to swerve into traffic. If I, if I, if I don't feel safe, I can just continue on the same road that I'm on. And like, 
just building rational ways to like deal with the world, it, right. it was a hard process to kind of shake the faith and the um and the appealing to belief and stuff. But once I did, and once my wife did, the world became so much easier to deal with. And also exciting. Like we live with someone who works at Australia Zoo with um Steve Irwin, like but before he died, like his zoo. Um okay. and she she works with like Robert Irwin, his son and stuff and and stuff. And um we went in there with um with with her and uh it was it was awesome because like I, I, we went up to the um fossil cabinet and I bought fossils and they're like you know, I think it's like, you know, 60 million years old. And it's like, I just bought it for like 20 bucks. And I was like, I don't have to rationalize why these numbers are fake and right. why, why the, you know, the, the Irwins are lying to me about stuff. I was just like, this is really cool. Like the universe just kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so although it's like yeah. heart wrenching and you can have issues with your family and, you know, some of our family don't even know where we're at, um, still, um, it's, uh, super rewarding is what I'd say. Um, yeah. and exciting. If I may, you know, when I started to to expand my repertoire of of literature, I came across a scripture in the Apocrypha, in the Mm. book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, in the book of Ecclesiasticus. Uh, I ended up buying the 1611 King James Bible, which has it. it, But I got it right there. The um the 20 year additional. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, right? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. It was my favorite yeah. book to read from, yeah, uh, or my favorite Bible to read from. But there's a there's a verse in Ecclesiasticus that says that wine was made to make men merry, and <laughs> uh, and then Jesus first first miracle was turning water into wine. So amen. Yeah, having amen. a drink or two <laughs> yeah. is not a problem, yeah. even scripturally. Yeah. It's a, it's a. I don't know where those doctrines came from. I know, I know. You can't drink. Yeah. Well, thank you what? so much. For, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, uh, Deborah. Everyone, thank make sure you. you check out the book. I would recommend uh, if you're if you're kind of interested, I recommend just at least getting the audible version because it's only like four and a half hours long. The the narrator is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, then, she's great. And then get the physical version if you you love it. I got the audible version and I was kind of like, oh, yeah, this will be interesting, like whatever. And then when I was about halfway through, I think I messaged you and I was like, I messaged you just randomly on on your Facebook page. I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) And I was like, this is so good. Um, And then like only hours after that, I was like, can you please come on my show? And then then you're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) And the next thing I know, I'm ordering the physical version. And like, I didn't even put all the stickers in. I just put in the ones that were super relevant from what I bookmarked in Audible. So I recommend anyone getting the book, checking it out. Um, It's really interesting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Deborah, for coming on uh, to the Deep Drinks podcast. Thank you for introducing me to Frangelico. And is it, am I saying it right? Gee, Frangelico. Yeah, Frangelico. Um, cool. And um, hopefully we can do this again sometime. So, thanks. oh, I'd love it. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you.